0: And whew, worthy is the Lamb. Man, that, that that'll preach, won't it? Tell you what, if your fire didn't get lit, there it's wet, my friend. If you if ain't something going in, on inside of you, you may want to take some spiritual inventory and see what the Lord is doing. Hey, we're glad you're here today. If you if you're brand new with us today and you haven't been here through our series, we've been through a series called. The gospel-centered family, and we started uh, several, several, several weeks ago, and we uh, we talked about how the family was God's nucleus uh, for discipleship. In fact, when you read the Old Testament, and I know I know we got some Bible scholars in here. When you read the Old Testament, what you begin to understand is discipleship was happening long before the church was ever established. So there's obviously some type of mechanism that God had already had in place for discipleship. Remember God created the home 6,000 years before he created the church. The home is the most vital part of the Christian faith. The home is where God says this is going to be a safe place and this is going to be the place of nourishment and discipleship. Through this series, we've walked through. We we looked at the men, and we 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 decided, according to Genesis chapter two, that that God's design for the man was to cultivate the culture for nourishment. That's why God created men. Men were always supposed to work. Always, we're built for it. We're not built for laziness. In fact, uh, God's word tells us that that. Idleness is, is is next to sinfulness. Like if a man gets idle, he's going to go sinful. We're not created to be idle. We're always working. Even before the fall of man, Adam still had a job. So don't think like we're gonna get to heaven and you're not gonna have a job. No, you you will. It'll just be you won't be working that nine to five. You'll be working in the glory of Jesus. And then we went to fatherhood and we started talking about how it is the man's responsibility to lead his family. In fact, Ephesians 5 tells us that, that, that while the wife is su- supposed to submit to the husband, the man is supposed to love his wife and lead his wife as Christ did the church. And like, if you're not familiar with, with what that means, um, you can read past that and be like, oh, that's easy. Remember, Jesus initiated the relationship with the church. The church never was like Jesus come to us. In fact, Jesus has to convince people they're lost before they can ever receive his salvation. He initiated, he loved, and he died for the church. Uh, Those are some weighty shoes that that Christ is asking the man to fulfill. When we get to glory, listen to me, guys, listen to me. When we get, this is free, you ain't paying for this. When we get to glory, God's not going to look at your wife and ask, how did she disciple the kids? He's going to look at you, men, and he's going to say, what did you do to disciple your family? Because your sins are forgiven. What we'll deal with in heaven is what we did with what God gifted us. And children are certainly a gift. So then we we transition to the wife and we we de- we declared that women and men although created equal Eve was created out of the rib the rib is important it means that the woman will stand beside the man not in front nor behind that they are equal, that she is a helpmate, they create this complementarian relationship that is a beautiful picture of God's love in the marriage and that they are there for one another, they support one another, they lift each other up we talked about this, we talked about how marriage is hard, it's difficult, it's not a fight, but it's worth fighting for and then last week if you were looking today for this traditional uh, motherhood women are amazing message you can check that on our podcast because it was last week as we talked about gospel-centered mothers and we talked about how even in the design of the woman by her physical and by her emotional and by her psychological makeup she is gifted for child rearing and we even talked about how we we have ladies who who, and we know today's tough because we have moms in here we have a, we have several moms in this room this morning who have lost children. We have several children in here who have lost moms. So we know today is not without emotion. Like we know um, that it's a tough day. And 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 even moms who 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 their children are gone or people who don't have children. What we looked at in the scripture was. By design, you're still a motherly influence. We talked about how we, we have so many moms in our, our family of faith here that don't even have children, but they just love on other people's kids. And it's a beautiful picture of, of mothers, even though they, they weren't given children, they're still, they're still pouring that out. Today, we finish our series today looking at what it means to have gospel-centered children gospel sinner, children. Can we agree? Can we just, like, take the mask off? Can we take the gloves off and just testify today that child-rearing is the hardest thing we've ever done? Amen? I mean, And raise your hand if you're perfect at it. Okay. Just Miss Dietra. And even her children said, right? Raising children are, oh, it's, it's woo! Like, this morning, my son woke up at 3 30 for no reason just a chill with mom and dad and he's not that much fun at 3 30 in the morning child rearing is hard but we all like we would all come together and agree that we want our children to grow and, and i don't care how old your child is i don't care if you've got adult children we all want our children to prosper in the gospel at the heart of every parent that, that's where we're at we want our children to grow and we want them to develop we want them to be men and women that that their heart beats after the Lord. But but how do we get there? What is it? What does the Bible say about child rearing? I'm glad you asked. In Luke chapter 18, if you'll go with me there. In Luke chapter 18, this is a gospel account of of Jesus dealing with children and. A lot was going on in Luke eighteen, and and Jesus is doing some crazy. This is Jesus is building towards his popularity. There are people. It, the secret has gotten out. Jesus, for the longest time, kept what's called the messianic secret. So when you go to lunch today with people who aren't here, you're like, what did y'all talk about at church? Well, Jesus, you know, he had that messianic secret. They'll think you're just a theologian. That's free right there. Jesus had a messianic secret, meaning he didn't want people all through the gospels until a turning point. Um, really about couple of months before he walked back into Jerusalem for the last time, he would tell he would do crazy things. He would heal the blind. He he raised people from the dead and he would tell them, Don't tell anyone what I've done for you. Don't tell anyone what I've done for you. But there came a point in in the story when when Jesus flipped that and he said, Now go tell the world. Because what Jesus didn't want to be was a dog and pony show. Like he didn't want people coming to him with all their sickness and sniffles and be like, just Fix me because Jesus didn't come to fix our temporal problems. He came to fix our eternal problems. Amen. That was a great time for you right there. I, I, just, I set that softball up and y'all. Jesus came to fix your eternal problem. He, he wasn't about this dog. He didn't want to be some spectacle in town, but he wanted to be a savior. And so, so he, his popularity at this point in Luke 18 is growing and, and it's wild. Now people are bringing children to him. That, and every, child, every parent would agree, we want the very best for our children. Like we, we want what's best for our children. We don't strike out in the morning going, well, I'm going to give them the absolute worst today. No, parents will sacrifice for their children. The parents in Luke 18 were bringing their children to Jesus, not because they were sick, not because they were afflicted. They just wanted a blessing. They said, Jesus, just touch our children because we know if you touch our children, they will be blessed. And that's the context in which we pick up our text. In Luke 18, starting in verse 15, it says, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them and he said, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. God, I pray that you would use my words and they would be from your altar. And we we pray that a supernatural moment would happen with us experiencing you today. Father, may we walk with the Lord because we've been in his presence. It's in the name of Christ we ask. And people said, amen. So we have this unique text here, and it, it kind of points to that there's obviously something in children that we need to cultivate for flourishment. There's something inside of children. There are components in a child that as parents and even as a church, we desire to cultivate. The first one being innocence. Isn't it amazing how innocent a child is? Like my son right now, he's in the nursery. He's probably eating a goldfish. My child knows nothing of evil in this world except when he gets his hand popped, right? diaper dusted, right? He doesn't know there's bad things. He doesn't know there's people out there whose desire is to harm him. He doesn't, know, he doesn't know there's bad things out there that could happen to him. He has instilled in him innocence that as a parent I must cultivate I know the world itself is going to wear at his innocence. I know that. I'm not blind. I don't think I'm going to raise a perfect child. Like, you, you've met pastor kids before. They're typically the ones drinking beer in the parking lot, right? So, like, I know I've got work to do to curve that, right? And, and so we, we, want to, we want to nourish him, and we, we want to, him to hold his innocence. We're, we're in this day and age where we're forcing children to grow up way too fast. Like, I I meet when when I'm in Walmart, and and I don't go there often. My wife will testify that's one of the the fewest places I frequent ever. Um, I would just rather not. I'd I'd pay ten times as much not to go there. Um, When I'm in Walmart and I see the way kids are treating their parents, I, I think to myself, if that was me, I would not have teeth. I just wouldn't. I wouldn't. You don't talk to your parents that way. Like, if you're still sitting in the buggy, you don't call the shots, right? <laughs> Shouldn't even be a point. But but somewhere along the way, we, we, we force children to grow up or at least to become more mature than they are. In fact, even in the way kids are dressing these days. Like, I, when, I, when I see, and like, I know you're fixing to say, well, you're just closed mind, blah, blah, blah. Hold that, because you'll be wrong. Um, when I see kids and they lose their innocence and their ability to even dress modestly what are we promoting what are we selling to our kids when they're running around in these little booty shorts and we think oh look how cute they are no when they're 16 and they have got 16 guys running around with them that's not gonna be cute anymore what we develop in them as children will cultivate what we sow we will reap we must hold their innocence as long as we can because the world will rip it from us so we, we cultivate, we, we, we set parameters for their, and we want them to, like, like so there's some TV shows that, that Katie and I watch that, that we would not dare play. And it's not like they're vulgar. Um, I just, I don't care that my child sees uh, someone shot on CSI. Like, I, he doesn't have to see that now. Like, like, his, like his big thing is, is he loves Thomas the Train. And so that's, that's what we, and so, yeah, it's not my favorite I can like, I can hum the song, and, and he loves uh, George the, the curious monkey, and we watch that. and, and so we, we, and even in that is such moderation. And so we, we, we want to keep our son's innocence because we, we know what his life is up against. We know what evil exists. So in our home, we cultivate innocence because we, we want him to hold that as long as he can. but we also want him to, to hold the, the openness that he has. We, we want him to be able to trust and be receptive he doesn't meet a stranger and we we love that he he's a social butterfly he loves people and he loves being held and, and played with and we we although keeping him innocent we cultivate that in our child we cultivate that even in the kids in the nursery here we 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 want them to receive because this is ultimately gonna impact how they receive and, and trust in Jesus. So, so we're doing things now, and although they're difficult and they may seem, they may seem laborious, we do them because we, we're desiring something later that he's going to be able to be open and receive the gospel. So even little things now we do, we're, we're hoping make a major impact in his life. As we go forward, as parents, we, we want to keep them open and trustworthy and re- receptive. Um, one thing I've always um, learned from very early in life is you don't tell a kid anything you never want repeated, right? You've seen the thing on, on YouTube or maybe you, you're a Facebook user and the three most honest things in the world are a drunk yoga pants and a child, right? some of you catch that on the way home and you're gonna snort we want our child to to everything he hears his mom and me say to be promoting we, we don't talk down to people in our home we don't do that and the reason is we want our child to be open and, and, even, and listen like i had somebody come up to me last week, and after these series and they go you know you and your wife's marriage is just it's so good you don't live in our house. My marriage looks just like your marriage. Any married couple ever fight over money? Yeah? Some of you probably fought on way to church this morning over money, right? We, we do the same thing. any any of like disagree on how we're parenting we're not we're nowhere close to perfect but what we do try to do is always have a a place for our child where where he's not going to see us have a knockdown dragout. drag and we listen those happen in the oats home like there's times where it's knockdown dragout. drag out like it's it's all right we're doing this let's go but we never do that in front of our child and you're like well he's so little he wouldn't remember but we never want to get accustomed to having these conversations with him in the room like, I, we're not trying to paint some perfect picture for him, but what we do want to establish is how a husband and wife communicate and point each other to Christ through everything we do. So we, we try to cultivate an openness and, and trust in him, and, and, and we want him to be receptive, but we also point to him humility. We want him to see how to be humble. And Listen, in this culture, this is probably the hardest thing we're going to talk about this morning. We started by asking, we, we would all do anything for our children, but there comes a point when we enable them. There comes a point where we no longer give them the ability to stand on their own two feet. We've given and given and given, and they, they have no wants, and they think that's what the world's going to do to them. And then your child graduates and can't figure out why why he or she can't get a job or why they struggle in life so much, and it's, it's because we've never desired to keep them humble. Now I'm not talking about, like, make them go without things they need but we've created this fidget spinning culture of tight jeans that, that now we, we have kids that, that aren't humble and don't respect authority I was talking to a guy about this sermon this week and he is a baseball coach and he was coaching and, and he gets dog cussed weekly by parents by parents of his players who think that their child does no wrong, listen I know I did wrong. And my parents were a little different. I know that. Like my parents, if somebody called my house and said, your son did this, it wouldn't matter what I said. Right? We, the belt was coming out and it was game time. It was game time around the house. It didn't matter. We live in such a day now. And listen, I know people are wrong, but I also know kids lie. And so we we create in them a sense of humility where where they're speaking truth and they're acting that way as well. Your child's not the nuclear of your family. Your child's not the center of your family. It should be Christ. And so showing them that will force them into humility. Showing them that it's not about them. The world doesn't revolve around little Johnny or little Susie, it revolves around Jesus. And that's a difficult thing to do right now because it's countercultural. It's countercultural. Everybody says, you've got to get your child. If your child is going to do anything, they've got to do this. And I am, can we just, we have a church today. We're just going to be honest. I am travel balled out. When I hear, if if you do travel ball, I'm not picking at you. Don't hear that at all. But listen, your six-year-old, like the Braves aren't scouting them. They're not. They're not. Right? They probably should be because they're awful. But nevertheless, they're not. They're not. Let your child be a child. Like, I I was talking to a parent the other day, and I was like, hey, we set our VBS dates. It's it's this and and all this and stuff, and that's a plug for VBS. Sign up. She's out in the hall. Be sure to check that on your way out. Um, And they're like, oh, we can't do that. we got travel ball. Like, your child's four. Where are you traveling to? (laughs) Like, come on. Your your child's going to miss VBS to go play travel softball or travel t-ball? What are we doing? What do we show when, when we create a culture in our home that everything's about our children? We're not teaching them to be humble, and eventually, listen to me. Eventually, you're like your child's this big. What do you know? I've been I was I've dealt with teenagers for the last eleven years. Okay, eventually, you can't financially support their habit. Eventually, you give them what they want, what they want, what they want. They want more stuff. They want more expensive stuff. All of a sudden now you're buying every iPhone and that that car you gave them isn't good enough and and they want this and they want that and you've created a culture of something you can't maintain and you've yet to point to Christ. So what does this look like for parental roles? What does this look like? How how does a, a father and a mother do this and create in their child these things? A father's role is to create and cultivate an environment for spiritual growth. Dad, it's your job, man, it's your job to cultivate this so that your child sees Christ in you. That he sees Christ in you, that doesn't mean you take him to church. That doesn't mean you drop them off. They don't need to see that you know where the church building is. They need to see Daddy opening up his Bible. They need to see Daddy leading his family in prayer. They need to see Dad investing. Because here's the deal. If you teach your child to hit a curveball, but you don't teach him about Jesus. You've not set him up for success. In fact, you've crippled him. You've crippled him because he doesn't know the Savior in which is trying to redeem him. So the dad needs to cultivate this this, this experience, and it needs to happen often where the child is investing in the the child's spiritual well-being. It's not just about making sure he's got the clothes, and and I know, I know. I drag in from work just like you do. I'm tired. I've talked all day. I've dealt with issues all day. The last thing I want to do is sit down and do this. I know it would be easier for me to to grab my tea, sit it on the coaster, pop the seat on my couch and sit there for two hours but that's not spiritually aiding my child. That's not me spiritually leading my wife. So we have to take steps to grow our children so that they can Be more like Christ. The mother's role is to nourish and reinforce spiritual truth. To nourish and reinforce spiritual truth. Now, pausing here, sometimes moms, you have to assume the spiritual leading role in the home. Uh, We've said it every session this series when God's perfect design for the family is lacking. God's grace abounds. When God's perfect design for the family is lacking, God's grace abounds. Sometimes, moms, you have to step up and be the leader. And as a mom, you, you don't take that begrudgingly. Now, as a mom, if that's you right now, if, if you're having to do that as a mom right now, you need to be in prayer, and constant prayer for your husband that he will man up and do what God's asked him to do. Whether that's receiving Christ whether that's stepping into the role that God's called him to step in, you do that. But you keep on nourishing and reinforcing spiritual truth. In the perfect, the wife and the mother doesn't establish the spiritual truth. She just has to reinforce it because the husband and the father has already done that. So what does this look like? Today's Mother's Day, so we want to spend a few extra moments here. What does this look like? It means a mom doesn't hinder your child's spiritual development. As a mother, you do not hinder your child's spiritual development. You cultivate it. You cultivate it like a farmer would as he goes through his crop and he pulls out the weeds. He doesn't want the nourishment to go elsewhere. You, you nourish your child in the spiritual development. You, you ask him, that as you go home today, even if your child are grown, you call them, hey, what would you learn at church today? Hey, And you're like, what, well, my child's 36. They don't want to, no, ask them. I I love having spiritual conversations with my family. I love it. I love it. It means the world to me. What did you learn? How are you developing? What's God doing in your heart? As a parent, regardless of the age of your child, you should know the answer to those questions. Because you never outgrow parenting, ever. I mean, we've got folks in here in their 90s and they're still parenting. It changes, the role changes. what What you're doing now changes, the worry's still there. And your responsibility to cultivate spiritual nourishment is still there. So we don't hinder their development. We also make sure our child knows what's important. We make sure our child knows what's important. Let me tell you, if if it's important to you, it will be important to your children. If it's important to you, it will be important to your children. Case in point, my parents love deer hunting. We were the church folk like people in other churches, we don't have any here that we took off from November to the end of January because that was deer season like you couldn't catch us in church IRS couldn't find us, we were, we were just going couldn't even, because we deer hunted, that was what we did so that was how we operated and if I'm honest and I said this a few weeks ago, like I really don't like deer hunting that much like, if I get to choose, like, I can go buy a steak a lot easier than I can go hunt Bambi, right? Like, I, I can find the pig. The deer's hard to come across. What we as parents label as important, our children will as well. But listen to me. Listen to me. If you haven't heard anything else, lean in. It has to be real to you, Parents. Like If you come to church because you live in Alabama and you're culturally wired that way, they're going to pick up on it. They're going to pick up on this false thing that you're doing. But when your heart genuinely beats for the Lord, and then you can't wait to get with your brothers and sisters, my goodness, they're going to catch that, they're going to see that, and they're going to want that. I said last week, my absolute favorite thing as a pastor is when a parent calls me and says, I've led my child to Christ, will you come talk to him? I'll tear the rubber off my tires getting there. That's my absolute favorite. Thirdly, a mom should make Sunday a big deal. A big deal. If church is just a portion of your day, you're not doing it right. If church is something, well, we've got to run down there for an hour or so, but we'll get out quick and we'll beat the if that's If that's where your heart is, you're not instilling in your child, you're not instilling in your family, your grandchildren, you're not instilling into them what we do here. If this is just something you have to come do to make yourself feel self-righteous, you're not doing it right. Church should be something. When your children wake up on Sunday, there should be excitement. There also shouldn't be a question. There also shouldn't be a question. Like, I'm a little different. My wife would testify to this, and and her mom is here. You can check, you can ask her on the way out. Their family, when they woke up on Sunday morning, it wasn't like, what are we doing today? They knew. Didn't matter if it was raining. Our attendance goes to a third if it rains. Didn't matter if the saints were playing on Sunday didn't matter if they are racing at Talladega. didn't matter. It's Sunday. What are we doing? We're going to church. We're on vacation. It's Sunday. What are we doing? We're going to church. We're going to church. That's what we do as a family. We go to church because Sundays are a big deal. As a church, what does this look like? We've talked through kind of some parental aspects, but as a church, how do we cultivate children for spiritual development? As a church, we respect them and we welcome them. We respect them and we welcome them. I don't care if we have to paint the hallways every year because three foot and lower is dirty. We want children to be a part of the ministry of this church. In fact, it is our target. When you ask any of our staff, what are we? What, who are we aiming at? We we love our old people. We we, we they're rowdy. Our, our senior adults. Will, they're a rowdy group. We love our, our, those medians. Uh, we love them as well. And, and them young whippersnappers like me, boy, that, that's, a, that's a good group too. Um, but the, the ones we focus on, we want to see teenagers and we want to see kids. And we want this place to be covered up. I want our nursery folks to come in and be like, y'all, we need help. Come on back here. We want to see our children's ministry developing. We want to see them grow. We welcome them. That means we we spend money, we put money where our mouth is. We're spending more and more on children's ministry than we have in the past. And next year we'll spend more than we spent this year. We, we want to see our children develop and cultivate in the Lord. So when we get together with our children's ministry, we don't just get together and be like, well, I hope they're having fun back there. No. If a child comes to me like, we had fun, what would you learn about Jesus? Nothing, we failed. F, failure. We want our children, even at birth, to be hearing the good news of Jesus. We want them all the while, I I, want to ask them when they're 20, when's the first time you heard about Jesus and them say, I don't know. I've just always known about him. Because it was instilled to them as a baby that there's a Savior who loves them. We also disciple them. We don't just waste time. We're not a babysitting service. And all the while, we point them to Jesus. We point them to Jesus. We don't press. We don't don't manipulate. We don't try to scare them into heaven. That's not what we do. We want them to see. Because those tactics, listen, if somebody can scare you into salvation, somebody can scare you out of it. We want people to see the glory of Jesus and be so enamored with who he is, they can't wait to accept him. So that's where we start in our children's ministry. We start telling about how this wonderful man named Jesus from Nazareth, a town way across the ocean, lived a life they couldn't live and died a death that they helped die, they helped kill, and now they can have life. We say it a lot more child-friendly than that. But we want them to experience Jesus. Because here's the reality. For anyone to come to Christ, the meat of this Luke text is that for anyone to come to Christ, we must lay down our pretensions and walk into a relationship with him. Children get that way better than adults do. Children get that, that they're not bringing anything to the table. Like when my son sits down for lunch today, he did nothing to prepare it. Like he wobbled in and sat in his seat. That's it. But there's food there. He has no pretension that he had to do something to eat. And as believers, listen, we shouldn't have any pretension that we did something for our salvation. Because Christ did it all so that you could be redeemed. My, what a mighty God we serve. Can we pray over you this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for today. Lord, we pray over the people under the sound of my voice. Father, that you would work in their lives, that you would see, that they would be able to see, God, their relationship with you. And if there's things they need to work on, that they would come find an altar to do business with you. Father, if, they, if they're sitting here today and they're saying, I can't lead my family because I'm not a believer, Father, that, that you would work there as well. God, thank you for the truth of this scripture that we come to you empty-handed. We come to you empty-handed, nothing to give you, that you would look upon us and smile, and yet we're the people you look at and say, that's whom I died for. Lord, we pray you draw many to your name today. It's in the name of Christ we pray. And all God's people said Will you stand and sing with us this morning?